Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What is up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of How Did You Get Into That? My name is Grant. It's so good to have you here with us today. we got a great story for you today. This is probably one of my favorites so far because this connects to my childhood in an indirect way. So, we're talking with Dwayne Edwards today, a guy. He has a great story in the shoe design industry. This is a guy who started designing shoes. How he got into this is a really cool story. But then he's kind of worked his way up. He worked at Nike for a little while and eventually worked with the Michael Jordan brand, kind of a, a, a subcategory within, or I guess a, a subgenre or sub, I don't know, another business, another arm of Nike working for the uh, the Jordan brand. And he actually ended up designing a couple of pairs of the Air Jordan shoe. So he's actually only one of seven people to ever design an Air Jordan. So really cool story about how he got that. Some stories about how he interacted with Michael Jordan. Jordan was a huge guy that I looked up to uh, as a kid, had the posters all over the room. And so we talk about what that's like and how that kind of helped shape his journey today. And also what he's doing today and how he's uh, kind of bringing it full circle and how he's contributing and helping other people who are wanting to get into to this industry in this space. So if you're interested in, in shoe design, if you're interested in fashion, if you're in, into design at all, this is a great episode. I think you're really going to enjoy this. So let's get right into it. Here is my conversation, my chit chat with Dwayne Edwards. Enjoy. <music> Greetings, my friends. Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Today, we are joined by Dwayne Edwards. Guy's been in the shoe design industry for many, many years. He's got some really cool stories and has a great journey that we're going to talk about and then get into today. So, Dwayne, welcome to the show, man. Hey, man. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So, you also run this organization called Pencil, and you've been in the shoe design space for a while. So, how would you describe to someone what it is that you do? So what I do now, it transitioned from designing product and footwear that people worshipped into, I call designing lives now for the next generation of footwear designers through my academy. From what I've read about Pencil, which is a cool name, is it basically you're just helping other aspiring entrepreneurs and designers kind of understand the business and the space? Yeah. So, you know, what it is, it's it's a bit of a new version of, you know, the way I think education should be because I'm not formally trained as a designer. So the way the academy works, it works a lot like a trade school would work. So we get students from all over the world that have aspirations for being a footwear designer or even owning their own footwear company. Mm-hmm. So we put them in the exact same working environment it would be like if, you know, worked at a big major company as well as provide them all the entrepreneurial tools needed, the portfolio and resume tips that they need, as well as ultimately teaching them the art of footwear design, both from the physical design point of view, but also the business side of it, you know, how to prepare a business plan, you know, how to look at market opportunities, the color and material design aspects of it. So we put them through the ringer in, in four weeks, but wow. it's a 14 hours every day, though. Jeez, that's crazy. All right, cool. Well, I'm interested in hearing about your story about how you got into the footwear industry in general. So I know you grew up in uh, outside Los Angeles. Did you immediately just start drawing as a kid, or is that something that always just kind of came naturally to you? Yeah, I was, um, you know, I was actually born with the gift to draw anything I could see. And uh, I had two older brothers, uh, Michael and Ronnie, who were actually better artists than I, and and as I got older, they started showing me tips on what to do. And because, again, you know, this was uh, growing up in Inglewood in the, well, this at the time, this was in the 70s, late 70s. You know, art wasn't really, you know, uh, as popular as it is today. Sure. So we had to just kind of just figure stuff out on our own. So a lot of my learning was just from my brothers just showing me the tricks that they've learned. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So what was life like growing up for you? You've got two brothers. Were your parents artists or, or into drawing at all? Or, or where did that where did that kind of come from for you? Uh, yeah, I have just four brothers and a sister. My mom, we got the gift from my mom. So she was artistically inclined. Cool. And um, so we grew up in Inglewood, which is you know, not the safest place in America. Um, it's just still not that great now. But, you know, it was just our sanctuary was, you know, drawing. You know, it was when we were inside somewhat safe, you know, that's what we would like to do is, is just draw. And for me, I would always draw sports figures. And when I got to the shoes, the footwear was so much harder to draw than the rest of the body. So I gravitated towards that because it was the part that was the most challenging for me. Interesting. That's crazy. Okay. At what point do you realize like maybe you've got something here? Like maybe you, you're, you're good enough to maybe do this long term? I would say the tipping point came when I was 17 and I entered this uh, design competition that Reebok was sponsoring. They placed an ad in the LA Times. It's actually the smallest ad you can place. It was a quarter of an inch by an inch. But for me, it was, you know, like a full page ad because, of you know, since I was 12, I was drawing shoes and all through middle school and high school, I would continue to draw shoes. And but I didn't know it was a job. I didn't know like you would get paid to do that. I mean, obviously, there were shoes and shoe stores, but it never equaled like somebody actually does this and gets paid to do it right. uh, for me. And so I entered this competition of winning it. And the problem was I was 17. They were expecting somebody who was, you know, in college or just graduated from college. And, you know, the prize was a job, but because I was still a senior in high school, I didn't get that job. <laughs> but that was the moment when I was like, hey, you know, if I can beat out high school kids and you know, college students, then, you know, I guess I have some ability to be in this industry on some level. Was it always still just about the shoe design for you? Were you ever intrigued about trying other articles of clothing or just other drawing objects in, in general? Yeah, you know, well, when I was in high school, well, like I said, I, I was drawing shoes all through middle school and high school. So that was really the passion. But, you know, in, in high school, you have just the basic art class, which they kicked me out of because I was better than my teacher. <laughs> so they kicked me out of art and put me into drafting. And then I started to study drafting and architecture. And because, you know, designing footwear wasn't really a visible opportunity for me, I thought I was going to be a draftsman or an architect. So I started focusing more on that. I'm thinking that that was going to be the career path that I was going to enter into only because I didn't know footwear wasn't even an option. And But, you know, the focus was I would love to do footwear, but I didn't know it was a job. So I focused on architecture and drafting until I found out all of the math and schooling needed to be an architect. And that <laughs> I wasn't too excited about that one uh, either. But, you know, I surely got my start shortly after I finished high school. So I see that kind of looking through your bio here that you went to Santa Monica College there and, and you were studying this and you're kind of getting, I guess, your proverbial foot in the door. So at what point I was reading here about your uh, what you did with the suggestion box when you were working for L.A. gear. So tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so I went to Santa Monica College for a study business marketing, advertising and management because I figured I would have a job or have my own business one day. And, yeah. and while I was doing that, I was working as a temp. And one of my temp jobs was to file papers. And my second job I received was at L.A. Gear, the footwear company, Marina Dore at the time. And, you know, for me, it was like a golden opportunity because here I am, you know, 18 years old at a footwear company. I'm, you know, granted, I'm in the accounts payable department filing papers, but I still saw it as at least I was close to my inevitable dream. And they installed suggestion boxes. And when I say installed, they just basically sat a wooden box on top of the cubicle um, <laughs> that uh, allowed people to give the company suggestions on how they can make the company better. And, you know, my suggestion every day was to hire me as a footwear designer. So <laughs> I would put sketches in the box at the beginning of the morning before I started filing papers. 
And uh, after about six months, the owner of the company, uh, Robert Greenberg, he called me into his office and offered me a job after my 19th birthday. That's crazy. So for six months, every day, you're putting in new sketches into the suggestion box. Yeah, dude. I mean, I was drawing them anyway. And now right. I just had a, I had someone to look at them. You remember, this is pre-internet, pre-Google. So right. it's not like I could post it up online. So actually, I had someone who could actually look at it in real time. And so I had nothing to lose. So I just did it. Well, I think there's two great lessons there. One is that, like you mentioned, you are, you're working at LA Gear and you are filing papers, which isn't glamorous. It isn't sexy. It isn't anywhere near what you want to be doing about designing and drawing footwear. But it's a step closer. At least you get your foot in the door versus, you know, if you're, you're flipping burgers at McDonald's or something. So I think a lot of times, a lot of us, we look for like that, that I'm trying to find the footwear design gig or I'm find, trying to find that perfect gig. And I, I don't want to, why would I be filing papers? Why would I want to be doing something? But at least for you, you felt like at least I'm closer to what I want to be doing. I'm building some connections. I'm building some relationships in this space that I want to be in, even if I'm not doing the type of work that I want to do long term. Oh, most definitely, man. I agree. I think, I think that's one of the major mistakes um, that people make, especially more so today, because we, we live in more of an instant gratification society now where it doesn't seem like people are interested in paying their dues and taking steps, you know, to move forward. And, you know, for me, again, it was, first of all, it was a job. So regardless of that fact, if it was at LA Gear or wherever, it was a job. But because I was flipping burgers at McDonald's prior to that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think if you understand what you want to do and if you can get in that door, if you're scrubbing the floors, the toilets, Anything you could do to get in that same space of where you want to be, you have a greater chance of navigating through that company than being on the outside trying to get in yeah. in a perfect scenario. Well, the other thing I really like about what you did was your drawing and you're, you're putting your work out there for six months. You know, I think a lot of times, whether it's uh, writing a blog or writing a book or the designing a pair of shoes or putting out a podcast, a lot of times we want to like make the perfect thing. But for six months, putting something out every single day, I'm assuming that out of those six months, a few of them are really good, but a lot of them aren't that great. But you're still continuing to ship them out and just to put something out there until you start to gain some traction. Oh, most definitely. Again, like I said, I had nothing to lose. And, yeah. you know, it, for me, it was something I love to do anyway. And uh, yeah, most definitely. I'm sure there was a lot of crap in there. I wish I had one of those sketches I gave them. It'd be great to look at them today. No kidding. Uh, but again, it's, you know, I didn't know the formal process of how to design because I didn't go to design school. I would sneak into the design department and talk to some of those designers and just kind of get feedback on what their sketches look like and so I would start to tweak mine to be a bit more professionally done. And over the course of those six months, they obviously progressively gotten better because I was seeking input and, and, and feedback. And, and again, that's one of the benefits of being on the inside. Even if you're attempt filing papers, you're still on the inside of being able to, hey, call a meeting with someone and, and, and ask them if they would just spend 15 minutes with you to show them what you do or explain to them what, you know, explain to you what they do. So when the owner of the company brings you in and offers you a design job, is that just kind of an entry-level design job, or what? what is that position like? Yeah, it was an entry-level design job. You know, I was just turned 19, so it's not like I'm going to be a senior designer or anything like that. It was just to get my foot in the door. So I started off just coloring up the shoes from the other experienced designers, and then slowly it moved to you know changing certain parts to designing a separate upper to creating my own shoe completely. So it was a gradual progression so I could just understand the process of how it works. 
And then once I earned my way to creating an entire shoe, then I, then I got that opportunity. What was that timeline like from the time when you first got the entry level designer position to the point where you were able to design your entire own shoe? Probably within like six to nine months. One of the great things about Robert who's actually now he owns Skechers. Oh, wow. Um, so he's the chairman of Skechers. Is that he just believed in, you know, if someone has talent, you give them an opportunity and, you know, let them do make the best of it. So it, he wasn't rigid in the sense of you have to go to design school, you have to have a degree, you have to do all of these things because that's not how he was. He's an entrepreneur. He started from nothing and, you know, built this company into an amazing place. So he didn't have preconceived notions of how you should be. He believed in, you know, hey, if you have the uh, the energy and the passion to do it, then here you go. Try it. Well, let's talk about that for a second because there's, a, I know there's a lot of people that are listening who don't feel or who feel like they haven't jumped through enough hoops to feel like that they could do, you know, fill in the blank, whatever that career or that dream is for them. You know, I, I, I don't have a degree in this or I, I don't have the experiences such and such or I've never done this or I don't have their connections or I don't have their parents. I don't have their money. I don't have all of this <laughs> that would allow me to do that thing. So what would you say to those people who are going like, man, I would love to fill in the blank dream job, but I won't because of whatever the excuse is. Like, what do you say to that? I would say a couple of things. One, write down all your excuses just so you can get them all out of your system so you can stop talking about them. Yeah. Because the more you talk about the excuses or the more you harp on what you don't have, you will never have the other things that you do have or never fully develop what you do have. So write them all down so you can look at them and get it out your system and move on. Then focus on what do you have, what abilities do you have, what people do you know that can get you closer to what you want to do, and are you really willing to do whatever it takes to get to that point? And you know, when you don't have what I call passion, you're not going to get it far at all. You can have all kinds of talent and skill and resources and people, but if you don't have the passion to execute and prove to those people or prove to, to yourself that this is what you really want to do and you're willing to commit everything you have to make it happen, until you reach that point with yourself, you're not going to go very far. If you think about like basketball with the NCAA tournaments happening, right. there's tons of ball players that's on TV you know, over the next you know, few weeks that are all very talented. They all play Division One basketball. But there's very few that are great. Mm -hmm. And the separation between good and great is not physical. It's mental. Mm -hmm. And until you're able to understand the mental of your greatness and what you can do with the gift that you have and then do it, that's going to be the separation between you and if you're in design school or if you're an entrepreneur. There's several of people just like you somewhere in the world, if not right next to you. Your separation is what are you going to do with the talents and the gifts that you have? It's not harp on what you can't do. Right. Well, I think you made a great point there, too, that like as, as passionate or as good as you may be at anything, at some point it becomes work, you know, and it becomes a job. And so it would be easy to say, well, you know, they're letting me color in someone else's shoes, but I want to be creating my own. So ah, forget it. It's not worth it. Or I'm just filing paper. So it's not worth it. But you're like, no, no, no. I know that I'm, I'm willing to put in the work and I know I'm willing to bust my butt knowing that this is going to help me to get somewhere. And so even when the parts that aren't glamorous and aren't sexy and aren't cool and aren't fun, but I'm willing to do that if that's the way that requires in order to get where I want to be. Yeah, you know, my, my mother instilled in me a very simple phrase, action speaks louder than words. Yeah. And when I got the job, I didn't talk. All I did was just prove that I belonged there because I didn't 
belong there in the simple terms of, you know, I didn't go to design school. I didn't have all these other credentials that the other designers had. And even though they treated me well, you know, for me, at least, I felt like, you know, I had to prove to them that I belong there. But more importantly, I felt like I had to prove to Robert that he didn't make a mistake by taking a chance on me. So I had a certain sense of a chip on my shoulder, in addition to proving to Reebok that they made a mistake for passing on me, (laughs) where, you know, I had a chip and my chip, I still have that chip to this day. And, you know, I think you have to have a certain level of competitiveness if you're in a design world, for me at least, and I'm sure it's applicable to other areas. You have to have a certain level of competitiveness within you that you will not let anyone outwork you. Yeah. Now, you may encounter someone that's more talented than you, and you can't control that, but you can control how much dedication and work you put into your craft. And if you're focused on no one's ever going to outwork you, they never will. Yeah. Now, if you bust your butt and get to a certain level of that competitive mindset, then your skills are going to improve because of the repetition and work. Yeah. I mean, that basketball analogy holds up well of the guys that, you know, you know, I just watched the Kobe Bryant's new documentary Muse uh, a couple weeks ago and, and how he he's considered one of the greatest of all time, but he'll still go out and practice for hours and hours and hours and hours. And just that repetition of whatever that skill or that craft is just to continually to improve what that thing is and, and to, to get better. So let me ask you this. So you're at LA Gear for a little bit. You kind of move up the chain there. You, it looks like you went through a couple other places before you eventually ended up at, at Nike. So how did you land a job at Nike? The Nike one was interesting. A friend of mine worked at Adidas, who's also up here in Portland, Mm -hmm. and he was friends with a guy at Nike. His name is Drew Greer. My friend Paul Wilkinson worked at Adidas, and Drew and Paul were talking, and Nike was looking for someone that, you know, had experience in the outdoor kind of boot market. And Paul told him, hey, you know, Dwayne is out in L.A., you know, you guys should take a look at him. So it was kind of a simple introduction over a phone call and email and I was able to get an interview up here. I put my portfolio together, sent it up to Nike, and came up for an interview. I had an interview with eight different groups of four people in one day. <laughs> and they were like, oh, you know, we we'll, you love your work. looks great. You know, we'll give you a call in two weeks and let you know, you know, what, what we want to do. And two weeks to the day, dude, they called me. And two people, actually, I got two job offers on the same day, and I took the first one that called me two different categories within Nike. Huh. And one of the questions was like, dude, did you guys like purposely wait till day 14 to actually call me? <laughs> or, you know, it was like it's a psychological head game. Exactly. So it was really through a mutual friend that I got an opportunity to, to be in front of Nike and the people that hires. And that's the beauty of what happens today, where it's about connections and networking, man. I mean, you can have the most talent in the world, but if no one sees it or if no one's vouching for you, it's going to be harder for you to get to that next level. But the key in that, though, is you have to do great work in order for someone to put their name on you. And he knew my work and he put his name on me and then Drew put it, I mean, Paul put his name on me, then Drew put his name on me. And all I had to do was just deliver what they knew I could deliver. But yeah, it was just kind of that simple. So I was at Nike for a year and then I moved into the Jordan brand. So Nike and Jordan are like Toyota and Lexus, same place, two different companies. Yeah. And so about a year into my Nike job, um, the Jordan brand called and and asked me to join Jordan. And uh, what was interesting about that one was the guy who was Bob Mervar, he was the design director for Jordan. He was in my interview to get hired at Nike. Wow. 
So he remembered, you know, what I was able to do. And he just, you know, put it to the side, like, I'm going to snatch him up, (laughs) you know, (laughs) once it's time. And what was even funnier is, and this is a lesson of never burn bridges or always know who you're around. There was another young lady named Ms. Caprice Neely. She was also in my interview and she helped kind of coach me through the interviewing process before it started. And I was actually sitting in her interview to get her back into Nike. Oh, wow. Eight years later. So she had left and then they asked me to be in her interview to bring her back in. So she was in my interview to get me in and I was in her interview to get her back in. Wow. That's crazy. I want to talk about the Nike and the Jordan brand experience, but you said something there that I think is really important for people to catch is that what do you do, though, if you're someone who you have the skills, you've got the ability, you've got the talent at whatever that craft is, but you don't have the connections yet? How do you begin to put your work out there into the world and build some of those relationships and those connections that can help you to take your business or career further? You know what? It's it's easier now, you know, because there's this thing called the Internet. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, You know, to me, I look at it and there's another place called LinkedIn and, you know, you can email people, you can request people to, you know, to look at your work and connect with you. Now, you have to be good. Yeah. And one of the things that I caution people is your friends telling you're good and your family telling you're good doesn't mean you're good because your friends and family lie to you. (laughs) They will tell you. They love you. They love you, but they're going to lie to you. (laughs) So my advice would be is before you even fix your fingers to email anyone asking them to look at your work, make sure that you've done a thorough enough job to meet with other professionals that are designers, if you're in the design field, and other people that are doing the work, and then look at other people's work to understand your skill level. Before you even fix your fingers to email a professional seeking advice for a job, because if you present bad work to them, they will not return that email because they will know like you didn't even take the time to do great work to put yourself in position for me to look at. That's one of the biggest mistakes that I've seen from inspiring designers is they think that they're good, but they didn't even look to see what good was. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. You need to do that. So you need to, the first, it's always going to start and end with your actual ability. Because even if you do know someone, they're not going to put their name on you if the work is subpar. Right, right. Well, I think that's so true, again, not just uh, exclusive to designing, but to anything. As a speaker, you know, I've made my careers speaking and and traveling around the country and speaking to different conferences and events. So yeah, being able to connect with other speakers early on and getting some of that feedback made a huge difference in knowing like, okay, can I compete at this level? Can I play at this level? Or am I I just way out of my league? So whether it's speaking or writing or publishing or whatever that thing is, just having a sense of, of where the bar is and knowing that where you are there. So let's come back to the Jordan stuff for a minute there, because I think that's going to be fascinating to people. So you get this invite to join the Jordan brand, which sounds like if you're in the design space or if you're in the athletic apparel space at all, just sounds like a a dream gig. So are you immediately designing shoes or what's your gig like there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So first of all, yeah, it is a dream job. It's so much of a dream. I didn't even think it was possible. (laughs) So I I didn't dream big enough when I was younger. I wanted to work at Nike, but working at Jordan wasn't even part of my consciousness. And yes, I was actually designing Jordan product before I officially joined Jordan. So when I was at Nike, 
I was like one floor below the Jordan brand. And so I would sneak upstairs and, and just to sniff the air that was going on up there. And, <laughs> and then after a while, they were like, hey, you know, you want to take on a project? Like, yeah. You yeah. know, so I wasn't getting paid for it. But for me, just to be able to work with that logo was an honor for me because I grew up idolizing Jordan himself and then being a consumer of the product. So I have a different relationship with that brand than most because I was a consumer before I was able to even design against it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was amazing, dude. Yeah. And within six months, I was in the brand. I was sitting on the couch next to Jordan presenting him a shoe that I crafted. And, you know, that was nerve wracking to say yeah. the least, uh, considering, you know, I'm sitting next to the greatest basketball player ever. But what was great about it was, you know, my team, you know, they kind of prepped me for, you know, Michael's style. And, and Michael's style is, you know, he likes people to be passionate about his brand the same way he's passionate about playing ball. And they said that he's going to test you, you know, so you got to be ready. You got to be on point because if he sniffs weakness, he's going to focus on that weakness and drill you. Yeah. And so I had to know all my facts. And so I presented him this project I was working on inspired by an Aston Martin vehicle that he loves. And so he started asking me details about the car that only like a car owner would know, not the person just go to the dealer right. to check out the car, but like intimate details. And I knew all of them. And so he, he was firing them away and I was firing right back. And, you know, eventually he backed down. He's like, all right, OK. New so everyone who works for him at first is called a new Jack. So it's all right, new Jack. You, you, OK, I see you know what you're talking about. So then after he knew that I did my research, there was a certain level of of respect that happened yeah and after that dude it was just like me and you talking right now wow there was no that's michael jordan it was like hey we just trying to get the shoe done and we both love shoes and let's figure out how to make it the best product it could be how surreal is that i mean as someone who grew up watching him and have the posters all over my walls and you know all of that stuff in the, in the 80s and 90s how surreal is that being able to design the iconic jordan brand dude it was crazy I mean, even, you know, it, it's, it's been a while, but I still look back on it and, you know, it's like if it wasn't recorded history, people probably wouldn't believe me. <laughs> like if, if you yeah. if you couldn't look it up on the Internet, you know, I probably wouldn't believe myself sometimes. But no, it was amazing, dude. And, you know, it just elevated my competitiveness even further because he's the most competitive person I know on the planet. Yeah. And, you know, being able to have him hold you to his competitive standards you know, only makes you more competitive, it increases your drive, it increases your work ethic, it, it increases your ability to think and problem solve because you have to solve it for the greatest athlete on the planet. Well, I, I saw that you are one of the few people on the planet who has uh, designed one of the iconic Air Jordans. So tell us about that experience. Similar, dude. You know, it was uh, the first one was um, he wanted us to create a, a product based off of a Bentley GT Continental. Mm -hmm. And he was the first person in America with two of them. <laughs> so because you got to uh, have so, two. Yes. He actually buys cars in twos, by the way. Uh, wow. So we were like, all right, cool. So again, being thorough about our inspiration, we went over to um, England to see how the cars are made. And we want to get into every detail of what it was about. And we created a product. It was the Air Jordan 21 that was based off the Continental and, and all the details of the shoe. I mean, it's documented online, but you know, from the tailpipes, the, the seats, the construction of the steering wheel, the actual Bentley grill, all those things are incorporated into the product. And you can see them if you know that's what they are, but it's just naturally integrated into it without it being, you know, overly, you know, in your face. 
And then I would say the second one, the Air Jordan 22, was probably the one that was actually even more fun and more stressful. Um, only because the, so at that time, the Air Jordan franchise, every shoe was about a hundred million dollars in revenue. Wow. So imagine being responsible for creating not only a product that has to generate over a hundred million dollars, but you're creating it for the best athlete on the planet and you're the 21st version of it. So you have 20 years of history before you not to mess up. No pressure. Yeah. Not at all, right? Uh, so the the second was Air Jordan Twenty Two, and that one was odd because, you know, when I started working on it, I was looking up. I always start with a number, and so when I looked up the number twenty two, it, it's a catch number. It's the most irrelevant number in the numerical system, <laughs> which means nobody cares about the number twenty two. Yeah. And what was interesting about that analogy was everyone was looking for number twenty three. Right, right, right. So yep. Or twenty three because it's Jordan's number. And there was a rumor that we were going to stop producing Jordans after 23. So no one was even interested in 22. They were looking forward to 23. And so I started looking into this concept of stealth, which I found through looking through research of number 22, because it's an F-22 Raptor, which is a fighter plane, called the or emailed some people that I knew at the Air Force. And I was able to go to Lockheed Martin in Georgia to actually see the physical plane itself in person. Yeah. And really talk to all the engineers and designers so I can understand that aircraft. So that plane's about $181 million. Jeez. But the coolest part of it, the whole experience was I, I created this kind of, we, well, we created this concept called stealth and I had to present it to Michael because we have to present the idea before we start creating the project. And so the concept of stealth was the art of deception and mastery of your craft, not really about ninjas and, and you know, black suits and stuff. Right. And so it was me and a couple, uh, one other teammate of mine, we were traveling to Las Vegas because he was staying there. And, and we were walking around, the, remember, the MGM Grand Casino looking for Jordan. And we couldn't find him. So we, here we are walking around trying to present him this concept around deception and not being seen when you want to be seen, and we couldn't find him. That's crazy. And we couldn't ask anybody because they wouldn't believe us. They're like, yeah, you know, two black guys walking around <laughs> the lobby holding a shoe bag. So, yeah, we're looking for Michael Jordan. No one would believe us. <laughs> so we couldn't really ask anybody. So we're on the phone with him like, dude, where are you? Like, tell us where you're at. And there's this little spot in the MGM called The Mansion, and it's this little doorway with the sign called The Mansion over the top. And there's literally like full-scale mansions inside the MGM Grand Hotel. Jeez. And so we found it finally and got a chance to present it to him. And, you know, it was just funny how we walked around for like an hour trying to find this dude to present him this concept of not being found. Right, right. <laughs> That's crazy. Hey, I've got a couple other questions for you. Uh, one question being just like, if you want to go into the shoe design or design, fashion design industry at all, what are some of those next steps? So I'm going to save that though for the bonus round. We're going to be coming right back and talking about a couple of those things. But in the meantime, uh, tell people where can we find out more about you? Where can we find out more about Pencil and what you're doing there? Well, it's easy for Pencil, P, you know, just Google or, you know, www.pencil.com, P-E-N-S-O-L-E.com. You can read about the school, you know, you can click on about, you can read about me and my story. We, you know, we're launching classes, you know, pretty soon. We're actually going to launch a big one on Monday. But it's, I mean, if you Google, simply Google Pencil, you should be able to find anything. If you Google footwear design, I think we're the first thing that comes up um, where, We've in a short period of time, we've really been able to make some headway in the footwear industry. And that was one of the things that 
you know, you, you don't know. When I left Jordan, I was at the top of the athletic footwear industry from a design point of view, being a design director there and giving it all up to say, hey, you know, I'm going to teach. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, then I had to basically just take everything that I've learned from the brands that I've worked with and understand how they've built brands. And I started building my own brand. And that was the goal when I left from um, from Jordan to start Pencil was I wanted people to, if they were serious about being, becoming a footwear designer, is that I didn't want them to say, I want to go to footwear design school. I want them to say, I want to go to Pencil. Yeah. Interesting. And there's a difference between those two things. And, you know, in a short period of time, we've been able to penetrate a lot of people's consciousness. If they're serious about becoming a footwear designer, they're going to find us. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a lot more about that. I want to ask you a little bit about why you decided to leave Jordan, especially and in a, uh, I guess, in an ironic way of when, like Jordan did when you're at the top of your game with the Jordan brand, decided to walk away and start your own thing. So we'll talk a little bit about that, how people might get into the space in general. And so we'll be coming back in, in just a second and talk about that. So, Dwayne, thanks for the time, man. Really enjoyed it, buddy. All right, man. I appreciate it, dude. Thank you very much. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Dwayne Edwards. Really good stuff there. Make sure you stop by and you check out his site, Pencil, P-E-N-S-O-L-E.com. Really cool organization, giving back, helping other people who are trying to figure out how to get into this space in this industry. Also, to encourage you, if you enjoyed that interview, one of the things we talk about in the bonus material is we talk about what are some of those first steps to begin to break into the space, into this industry? If you're into the design at all, where do you even begin? How do you begin to make some of those connections and contacts? So really good stuff. I'd encourage you to stop by, download that, check that out. You can do that within grantbalden.com, or again, you can do that within the show notes of your mobile device right now. So that wraps up this episode. Hey, feel free to email me anytime, grant to grantbalden.com. Be sure to hit us up online on Twitter, on Facebook, on InstaFace, Insta, whatever, wherever you may be. Let us know where you're at. We'd love to connect with you. But until then, we will talk to you next time. You're awesome. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.